Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. It says, she, the virtuous woman, looks, looks for wool and flax, works with her hands in delight. So in other words, there is this idea of doing it willingly. It's not begrudgingly, all right? It's kind of like the attitude instead of just doing it out of duty. And then it says, she is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. And when I read that, I thought, boy, is that bunch of nothing for me. And then I got realizing, if I put it into today's context, it might look like this. She is like a wise woman who will go to a big box store that has things that are at much greater discount, and she brings them from afar rather than going to the convenience store right next door that sells everything three times as much. Yeah, I could write my own Bible, couldn't I? Well, my point being here, though, is read it more in the context of their days. They would go out, they'd look at the far ships because you could get better and other things from other places. You bring them in, you go to them, you provide it for your family. And for times, there are places that you do investigation. You go out to see where you can get the best buy and stuff. But that's not all. She again rises before daylight. She gives food to her household. We covered that already. But now the next verse says she considers a field. Considers it, really, she looks at it. She thinks about it. She's going to make an investment on this thing here. So as she's considering this field, it's to be a fruitful field. It's going to accomplish the goals that she wants out of that field. So she's not just buying property to have property. So she says she's wealthy and she owns property. She buys it. And then it says, and from her earnings, she plants a vineyard, I'm assuming now, in that field that she bought. So in a very veiled way, but a very real veiled way, she's an investment woman. She invests her money. So is investing money right or wrong? It is wise when it's done with the proper biblical governance, the proper model, the proper counseling, and being careful while you do that. Because remember, she carefully considers what she's doing while she's doing this thing, rather than doing it impulsively to get rich. And she's getting this to plant a vineyard. Then it talks again about she girds herself, she's strong, she takes all of this together, what she's doing, what she's making. But go down to verse 20. She extends her hands to the poor and stretches out her hands to the needy, which means she has one eye on her own family and she has the other eye on the world, particularly the needy people. And later on in verse 24, it talks about she supplies belts to the tradesmen. I believe that was to be another ethnic group of workers so she went way beyond her own class of people, and she went to another class of people. So she provided for her own, she provided for those that are near her, and then she provided for those of another ethnicity, a tradesman group that might be out there. Let's go back to the passage again. She says she's not afraid of the snow. Why is she not afraid of the snow? Because she already knew it was going to snow, so she already prepared, got her money, saved her money, managed her money, spent her money, so that all her household are clothed with scarlet. Not just clothed, it could have stopped there. But it said with scarlet. So they had, quote unquote, VW designer clothes. They were really good clothes, quality clothes. Clothes that looked expensive, even. And then she made coverings for herself, etc. Talks again about fine linen and purple. Talks about her husband being known in the gates. And uh, well, it just, it just, this thing just never quits. And I like verse 24, and I'll end with this on this portion. It says, she makes linen garments and sells them. So now, that would tell me, this is an answer to an opportunity, can women work outside the home? Now, I'm getting way off the reservation a little bit, but I'm going to say how this means. I believe her primary responsibility is taking care of her household. Read Titus chapter 2. All right. 
at the same time, while she takes care of her household first, those who are connected to her household, now she has the opportunity to do something else, not just in addition to or to get rich, but as also an extension of her giftedness, her abilities, personalities, uh, gifting perhaps, all that, but she took care of her family first. So there is a little bit of a latitude out there, and I would think that since she was so well-known in the gates by her husband, she was either known in the gates by her husband because her husband let other people know and bragged on her, or they knew about her because she had exposure to the community for what she was doing, and it all was about doing good for the family and then others. And so this is all a part of that passage. So men, we can really learn from this, and that's why I call it multiple streams of income. In seasons in our life, we have to be very creative of what we can do. Now, so I don't run out of time for our message today. If you would like to know, I have a, a document that I'll provide for you, seven ways for you to do some creative resourcefulness. None of it, read my lips, none of it is involved in multi-level marketing and all of that. All it is is what you can do seasonally from time to time to get a little bit of extra should you have a need to make sure that what? You take care of your family's basic needs, you get out of debt, don't forget this phrase, and stay out of debt. Getting out of debt is not enough if you're going to stay in debt again or get in debt again. All right, so I will help you with that if you'd like to have that help. There are many ways you can do to add a little bit. Here's the word seasonally. Now, if all you heard was that, then you missed my message. That is, after you've taken care of your inner walk with the Lord, because it's our intimacy with the Lord that fuels our strength to be able to do the things that God wants us to do or teaching about. So you cannot abandon that, the intimacy, to get the other. But all in this process of what we're doing, we can't just sit around and have all this intimacy like a monk and never be able to produce for the kingdom of God that he wants us to do. So there is creative resourcefulness. It should not be at the expense of your family either. There are many people that will take this message and say, see, that's why I work so many hours. That's why I do all of this stuff. Yeah, you might have a big bank account, but you'll have an empty house. I should say it a different way. You'll have a full house, but an empty home, if you know the difference. And so again, there is that creative resourcefulness, and there are many ways you could do that. You young people, I'm going to tell you that I'm not preaching out of, I don't know, out of some book. You need to know my life. I, I grew up with a dad who... Um, very much wanted to teach me to work ethic. I had a very loving dad. I nearly died. He was there when I woke up in a hospital crib looking through the bars like through a jail. <laughs> so, and there was my dad. He wept when I, woke, when I opened my eyes. And he said, he's alive, he's alive. I didn't know that I was going to die. And then my dad taught me how to throw a baseball, how to tie my shoes. He taught me how to drive. He taught me about finances. But then when I hit 12, he said, you're on your own, Stan. You live at the house. We'll provide for you for the basics, but you're on your own. Then he gave me a journal, and he talked with me about every dollar that I'd make and how to properly manage it. I wanted more money, so he said, well, if you want more money, you're only 12. How are you going to get it? He says, I'll find a way. Back when I was a kid, I thought I'd never say that, but now I'm old, so I say that. Back when I was a kid, on Thursday, they would throw the journal. It was called the journal. It was a rolled-up piece of paper on your lawn. It was a freebie paper. And you'd open it up, and in that freebie paper, it, they, they were able to give it free because of the classified ad. So I looked in the classified ad for an idea that I had to see if anybody else was doing it. 12 years old. Nothing. Couldn't find it in there. You know what my job was? I wanted to wash windows and screens, and I would charge 15 cents a screen and 25 cents a window. And my dad said, that's a great idea. Now, how do you plan to get there? And I said, well, aren't you going to drive me? He said, no, this is your business. I said, well, how am I going to get out there? He said, here's what I'll do. I will go with you, and I'll help you pick out a bicycle that's big enough to have a huge basket on the front. So I said, I can't afford one like that. He said, well, then why don't you go to the um, 
postal system because those postmen used to do bicycles with the big basket on the front. Now you know how old I am. So I went over there, big tires, and there it was, and I bought this bike for like six bucks. I was able to get a bucket in there, detergent called Top Job, a, a bristle brush scrubber, as well as plenty of rags and a sponge. And then I spent the next two Saturdays just going door to door asking if they wanted their windows and screens washed. I got some business, but it wasn't fast enough. It wasn't enough. So I thought, hey, it might, I could buy an ad in the journal. So I put it in the journal. We were having so many phone calls. My dad wanted to know if I wanted my own phone number, you know? <laughs> I had so much work coming in that I hired two of my buddies. And I had a business at 12 just doing this. And so with that money, I was able to buy my own car. Well, first it started with my own surfboard because the parents wouldn't buy that. And then, then I would get a car. I'm going to tell you from that little adventure through the rest of my life to today, the Lord has provided outlets and ideas for multiple streams of income when I really needed it for the glory of God. And I use those opportunities. Look at me. Every time to reach out to the community, I told myself, that these are people that probably will never go to church. I don't know who's going to tell them, but I can be a mini-missionary at age 16 by using this as my connection tool. And so I want you to know that it can be done whether you're young or whether you're old. You say, well, you ladies can't do it. My wife, um, we, we adopted two boys, and these boys were very difficult boys because they were older out of an adoption agency that said these boys were to be unadoptable. And we took them in anyway. They had fetal alcohol syndrome. So they took a lot of time and extra money because of certain needs. We, we were just, you know, we're, we didn't have, like you all, we weren't rich. We needed some extra. And Carol couldn't get a job because of the pastor's wife. We needed to be refocused with our people. And that's what we call it. It's not that pastor's wife can't have jobs out. But for us, that need. But Carol says, I, I'm not very skilled. You know, no computers. I said, I, I, I can't help you. I don't know them either. You know, so what are we going to do? She says, I, I can iron. And I said, yeah, that you can. You can iron. She put an ad in the paper and she ironed clothes. But we're too busy to go. She had the people come to the house, drop off the ironing, and I could see my wife for 30, 40 hours a week just ironing, just ironing, just ironing, just ironing. They would come, they would pay her, and they tipped her so well that we really brought in thousands of dollars just through Carol's simple little ironing business of a little housewife working whatever hours she needed to work. She didn't watch TV while she did all of that. She had her Christian thing going on, and she's doing this ironing. I'm not bragging on Carol. I'm using a simple little earthly illustration that two people like us who are not very smart people, not very healthy people, but all we want to do is help people, and God would give you the idea, and we're willing to do it. And listen, Carol is still in contact with people's clothes that she ironed in the 80s. That's how relational that became. So it wasn't just somebody's shirt somewhere. It was someone's life that she was going to make look good by the shirt she ironed for the glory of God. Now, that's again through creative resourcefulness. There's many ways to do that. Let me give you number three. Number three. First is through diligent labor. If you want to get some money, get yourself a job. If you're not, if you're in a dead-end job and you're really sensing that it's not where it ought to be, seek the Lord. Seek counsel. Certainly talk it over with your mate if you're married. And really get on the same page about some diligent labor. There's always something to do out there, whether it's part-time, full-time, additional. Creative resourcefulness. Don't forget multiple streams of income. Most of you who know what we're getting paid now in general from the college and the church and make it clear, we could not survive under any one of those ministries by ourselves. Okay, but because God has provided multiple streams, we're able to do three ministries and hopefully serve you as well. But I want you to know God can take care of you. And then finally, we're going to talk about the answers to prayer. Look at Philippians 4, 6. It says, be anxious for nothing. And 
This is so neat when it says that. Don't worry. Don't fret. Some of you are worried. And, and Stan and Carol are at this age. Now, we've got some gray heads here. I hope you appreciated me talking to the teenagers. So let me talk to you gray heads and no hairs for a moment. We are at a stage in our life that I don't know how much longer we can keep doing this. You know, Carol's got some health challenges. Some of you already know that. Had cancer twice, and we're dealing with some issues right now. And so with all that going on and what I'm doing, I don't know how long we can keep going. So there is going to come a threshold why you're going to need a younger pastor to do what you're doing here, to especially reach the next generation. I, I get all of that. But how can we afford to live in the next stage? Well, the one thing God doesn't want us to do, listen carefully, He doesn't want you to be anxious and worried. Here's why. If you are worried, your hesitant spirit of fear will destroy the creative spirit of joy that He wants you to have. If you're so worried about all of this, that means you're thinking more about the problem and this and how we're going to do it. We can't really do it. Now you can't think, okay, Lord, what, what do you have for us? This is a whole new chapter. You've opened a brand new door at Disney World for our life. And we're going to be the first ones that we can walk in this together. How do you want us to do this? What's out there that we haven't seen? What's behind door number one, door number two, door, door number three? I'm not going to worry because there's going to be a, a sizable gift to take care of our needs, not our greeds, behind each of those doors. So don't worry about that. Once you start doing that, then it's all on the issue. That doesn't mean don't plan, don't prayer, don't number crunch. You've got to do all of that. But once you throw fear and you're driven by fear and desperation, the creative juices are gone. So it says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't let that be a verse you have underlined in your Bible or even just memorized in your brain, let that verse be one that when you go to your bank account or your budget software and you're thinking about your future as you see the calendar and what you're looking like from Social Security, you, you take those, you lay it out in front of you, but between you and that, put this verse and own it and watch God work. We um, moved to San Antonio in uh, 1980. Two kids, two cats, and we moved our family in a U-Haul truck. So we had four of us and two cats in the front of an unair-conditioned U-Haul truck in July from the beautiful mountains of North Carolina to the sweat box of San Antonio, Texas. When we got there, our car died. We had nothing. So I was around the wrong crowd, and the wrong crowd didn't teach me how to steal a car, but I was, was, uh, the crowd told me that, hey, why don't you just buy this car on time? And so at that time, I overextended myself, got us into horrible debt. I had a nice car. It was a Cougar, Mercury Cougar and all that. It wasn't an SUV. I, still, I was stupid. I, I was I was wrong crowd, you know? And as I went out there, I bought that, and I had it for about, about a year. And I, I decided to... Uh, teach on the whole aspect of getting out of debt. And I thought, how can I do that when I'm in debt? So I was in my office and I prepared this message and I came home and you have to understand, we have a different relationship than a lot of you. I went home and I said, Carol, guess what? I'm selling the car tomorrow. I have no idea we're going to have another car because God told us we need to get out of debt. And she looked at me and she said, are you sure the Lord is? I said, yep. Now you know that you're going to have to walk. And I said, yep. You know that I'm going to have to walk. Yep. You know our two boys are going to have to walk. Yep. You know that we have no car to even do groceries, don't you? And I said, hmm, yeah, that does present a problem. So I said, let's just watch the Lord work. So now we saw, we sold the car on, on, on Monday. This on Monday. I go to a Wednesday night prayer meeting, 
and I announced before the people, like, I'm here with you. And uh, I wasn't the leader. I was just in the crowd. as We were pastoring then. And I said, any more prayer requests? Nobody was saying anything. So I said, I have a prayer request, but mine is different. I'm not going to give it to you as an unspoken because I don't. I think you should speak your prayer requests. If you're going to say it, don't say unspoken. Give it to the people you can't let it go. I said, but I will tell you this, that Carol and I are praying for something. I'm telling you now because I believe somehow God's going to answer that need, and I want you to know that we prayed for it without ever hinting to anybody or telling anybody that we had this need. And I said, I just want to show to you the faithfulness of God. And uh, <laughs> I want to show to myself the faithfulness. So that was on a Wednesday. Now we go through that weekend. On Monday, I'm sitting in my, my office, and I get a phone call, and this guy said, you know, I was sitting in church on Sunday, and the Lord prompted me and thought, you don't have a car. I have an extra car. Why don't I just give the Ponzas a car? Would you like to have my car? I said, absolutely. Yes, I'll be right over. So I had someone pick me up, drive me over. He owned a, a a business furniture store behind the showroom in the warehouse. He said, go on the back, I'll show you the car. I'm so excited, I can't wait. I said, what is this? He says, it's a, some a Mercury Montclair or something. I said, really? Okay, I don't know much about them. I went back there. Carol's laughing because she remembers. I saw that car. I was praising God. I looked at the car. It wasn't quite as good as I thought. When I got to the car, the front headlight, one of them was like winking at you. It's all smashed in. <laughs> I had to get in from the passenger door, cl- door, climb over the console, get into the bucket seat, and it was off the track, and it was dented because the door was smashed in. And this guy says, here's the car. Praise God. And you know, again, I'm so stupid. I said, praise the Lord. This is the car. This is just this is great. So I drive home, and as I drive into our, bar, our little parking area, I'm honking the horn because I want Carol to come out to see answer to prayer. And when I, I drove him, I'm honking. I'm saying, I'm getting out of the car, climbing out almost the window. And Carol comes out the front door. And I said, Carol, Carol, look at God provided us a car. Here's your car. And she said, I didn't pray for this car. This is your car. I don't even want to drive in this car. I said, Carol, you got to be grateful. And you know, you're trying to you know, half preach and have counsel. And, you know. and she says, no, I, I, I didn't pray for that. I prayed for a car that is is healed, you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> so that's his car. All right, that was on a Monday, all right? By that following Thursday, I don't know what to do with this car. She won't go in it. She don't definitely won't drive it. And I got this thing going here. And I thought, now what's going on? I got another phone call. This was from Florida. We were in San Antonio, remember? This was in Florida, Hollywood Beach, Florida. I got a call. It says, you know, my, my company just promoted me, gave me a company car, and we have this Chevrolet. It's two years old. Would you like to have our car? We don't need our car. I said, absolutely. I said, now I have a car, and Carol has a car. <laughs> I said, no, but I have no way to get there. Remember, we're living totally by faith. Our whole life has been that way. And so what we were able to do is I found a junk guy that would buy this car, and the amount of money that he paid us for the steel and iron and whatever these cars are made out of, he gave me that money. That gave us enough money in about 1981 to be able to buy two plane tickets and enough gas to fly to Hollywood and drive there. I want you to know that God can answer prayer whether you ask others to pray for you or you pray for it. But if you have a definite need, He won't give you your greed, but He will give you your need. And if we only had the time, I'd like to get off this stage. And as I walk off this stage, I like to take my microphone and I like to hand it to every single one of you who could be up here to tell the rest of us how God answered prayer for you when you had a need. Don't ever underestimate the power and the effectiveness 
of prayer to God when you have a need. The last one is no big deal, but it might help you to know this. God is so good that He even gives us stuff when we don't even ask for it. I, I like to call it through unexpected gifts. That's point number four, through unexpected gifts. There are times that you might have a need and you don't know that you have a need, but all of a sudden it comes through an unexpected way. So let me ask you, without coming forward, how many of you had a real need in your life and God met that need, whether it was through finances or food or transportation, whether it's a car or getting somewhere or getting home from somewhere, in some measure God reached down sovereignly through others and He gave you something that you really needed. You got that resource from God without asking anyone, without praying for it, but it was an unexpected gift from God. Would you raise your hand and leave it up? Real high. Stick it up. That's okay. Now I want the rest of you, the guests that are here, look at these hands that are raised. These are real people that did not know I was going to do this, that can share with you a testimony about Almighty God. You may put your hand. So I want you to know God does do that. This verse that I read to you about praying is actually in a letter that Paul wrote to a group of people who gave him money, not once, but other times. And he was so grateful for it. He said a lot of good things about this church, but there's something between the lines. It said that he gave them again and again, which implies that I think there were times that Paul got money from this church or resources, and he never thought about it. It came unexpectedly that it came. He didn't send a request letter. He didn't send a need letter. I didn't say ever, ever said it. But at times, the people just gave to him when they had an unexpected. And so I want you to know again that this message is not about money. This message is about you having an intimate relationship with the Lord by how he pro pro provides for his children. You might say, oh no, he provides for building God's kingdom. He doesn't build his kingdom without people because he's a relational God. So he will take care of you, the household of faith, so that you then can take care of others of the household of faith, so that together both of you then can reach other people for Christ. So he gives to you to reach out to them. So whatever you have is a commodity to take care of you, take care of your family and other brothers and sisters in Christ for the purpose of taking care of the rest of the world, ultimately, so they would come to know Christ, so they can worship Christ sincerely and in truth. Now, here's where I need to close. There may be some of you that are hearing all of this about money, and money is important, but I'm going to tell you the most important thing in your life is going to be, where am I going to go when I die? You can be the richest person and still go to hell from the prettiest house. And you can also be a person that's struggling financially. Wouldn't it be horrible that you had such a tough life here only then to spend eternity separated from Almighty God? That'd be horrible. And the other worst part about what would be, if I knew all of this and I never told you who are listening to me, how that beyond money, your greatest need is so that you can have a secure, intimate relationship with Christ, not by any good deed you do, not by any money you give, not by any ministries you build up, by not how much money you provide for the poor. It's about you coming to the Lord as a broken, shattered, lost, empty person, humble before God, and admitting that you're a sinner. Not how much sin, but the fact that you, you're separated from God. He's a holy God. We're not. We know that. That's okay. We, we got that. But now we need Christ to go to heaven. All the good deeds will never wash away the bad deeds. So now we need Christ. And that's what he says. He says, listen, I am a giver. That's who I am. I give freely. 
And my greatest gift to you, mankind, is going to be, yeah, I get eternal life, but our greatest gift that he's given to the world is Jesus Christ. There's so much in Christ. Eternal life is a part of that. The eternal part of that. But it's not only that. But I pray that you'll trust Christ as your personal Savior. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, all for the glory of God alone. When you do, he says, now I will grant you my son, and with him comes the full forgiveness of your sin, comes with the Holy Spirit to seal you, so no matter what happens next, you have eternal life. It comes with the ability to begin understanding God's word. It comes with the power to be able to live God's word. It comes with the fact that you will not only be in heaven, but you'll be in heaven with me forever, he says. And he says, all you've got to do is to trust me when I say to you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. Not a theological statement, but trusting him for the full forgiveness of sin. That he is God, he did die, he rose again. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Make it clear.